Welcome to Aston Means Business, a podcast from Aston Business School. My name's Steve Dyson, and I'm a journalist who's interviewing some of the UK's top business academics here at Aston. This podcast has been going since October 2019, and there are now more than 40 previous episodes that you can find and listen to by simply Googling Aston Means Business. Today's episode is entitled Pensions, Improving Financial Planning for Later Life a crucial subject that we're going to explore with Dr. Hayley James. Dr. James is a senior research fellow in the Centre for Personal Financial Wellbeing here at Aston Business School. Hello, Hayley. Hi, thanks for having me. No problems. Hayley, let's start by asking about who you are. I mean, what were you doing before you came to Aston? And what are you doing now here at the business school? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a sociologist and I do kind of qualitative research about how people uh, interact and do finance in their everyday lives. Um, My background is that I did a PhD at University of Manchester um, a few years ago where I looked at um, the impact automatic enrolment had had on people's saving decisions um, in workplace pensions in the UK. And then after that, I worked for a few years on a project looking at pensions policy across six different countries at the University College Dublin. And uh, yeah, then recently joined um, the Centre for Personal Financial Wellbeing at Aston. Now, the Centre for Personal Financial Wellbeing, um, what it exists for, is pretty obvious through its name. But tell us a bit more detail about the different things that the Centre does and what its ideal outcomes are. Yeah, sure. So uh, I I guess we have kind of like three uh, strands to the research centre. The first is around what I call, uh, well, what we call everyday finance. So that's looking at how people engage with finance in their everyday lives. Um, How do financial products work? What do they do with them? All those sort of questions. But you know, really focusing on how can we help people improve their financial situations, their financial well-being. Um, we also do some work on um, financial education and how people, you know, how to deliver financial education in a way that works for people. And the third kind of area is um, financial resilience, uh, which is a specific kind of term used for um, to describe, you know, how do we improve the sustainability, the long term sustainability of financial systems and uh, yeah, how people engage with those financial systems. So it's everything really from accumulation all the way through to do- decumulation as we might say um, across people's life course looking at all the different aspects of finance. Hayley you've already mentioned that your particular expertise is on pensions which in this day and age is a great subject to focus on because pensions are just so confusing. I mean when I first started work you found yourself having a quick health test before being enrolled on a company pension scheme which back in the 1980s and early 90s meant you were projected to be earning a pension worth some two-thirds of your final salary if you worked for 40 years. It sounded great at the time, but it never lasted. Life was so simple back then, but things have changed massively now, haven't they? Yeah, there's been a huge amount of change in kind of pensions, what they are and what they mean, but also how they're thought about. So I guess one of the things to reflect on is, is those kind of DB financial salary type pensions that did give you some kind of future guarantee. They actually were never that Uh, they were never covering all of the working population. They were a kind of subset of the population, even at their peak. Um, But that kind of idea of that's what a pension is, it gives you some kind of guarantees in later life. You know, you'll definitely receive this for the 
for later life. That that those assumptions are really changing. The model of how pensions are provided for is 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 very different now for most people. So now we have these things called defined contribution pensions, which most people in the UK now save into, where um, they're sometimes called money purchase schemes. Effectively, what you get out is dependent on what you put in, but also the investment returns of that money over the course of your lifetime. So it's much, much harder uh, there's much, much fewer guarantees about what you'll get at the end. Um, and to some extent, that does make people nervous because, you know, um, yeah, it's much harder to understand or predict and think about the future in those terms. Yeah, I mean, I'm still confused by what's happening to young people today. I, I think about my own three sons who I have um, here in the UK. They're aged 29, 26 and 23. Uh, the oldest has worked in China for the last seven years before coming back to the UK. And Starting afresh now, he's suddenly realising the importance of making sure he's on the right pension scheme. The middle son, he's not thinking about it that much yet because he's had a load of different jobs. But he has started to almost, um, not complain, but moan a little bit about not knowing what little pension pots he may or may not have here and there and not really knowing how to find out. Ironically, it's my youngest son in his first job as a teacher who seems to be more aware of the pension he's contributing to probably because it's a mainstream public sector job with strong union advice. But it's a minefield for young people out there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Not just because we have these different types of pensions, but also because employers often do very different things about how they offer their pensions. Um, So yeah, different industries have different standards, as you've said, the difference between teaching and other industries. I think it is really different, difficult for young people. Um, And especially because I think sometimes uh, the policy tools that we have around pensions are very one size fits all. So automatic enrolment, for example, came in um, in 2012. It's been rolling out to businesses. But the idea is that everybody gets automatically enrolled. Now, Actually, I think for young people, especially, that could be like the very first experience of saving um, in a pension. And being automatically enrolled means you kind of feel like something just happened to you and you don't really know what what it is. You don't really understand it in depth. And in my research, what I found is that most young people, they really feel like they're not ready to think about pension saving. And they put it off. They want to, they think they'll, you know, start thinking about their pension once they become something that they often call a real adult. So once they've achieved certain markers of adulthood, they say, oh, okay, then I'll start thinking about pension saving. So automat- automatic enrollment in one way is good because it means at least they're saving something while they're kind of, you know, going about becoming a real adult. But at the same time, for lots of them, they felt that automatic enrollment was enough and that almost made them not think about pensions for longer. So yeah, I think. Yeah, we need to maybe think more about how pensions fit into people's real lives and real experiences and then accommodate those by yeah, being more flexible in, in the way we think about workplace pensions, maybe. Yes, and I'm listening to your description of auto-enrolment, how some people call it a one-size-fits-all approach mm-hmm. that hardly seems appropriate in a society that's already so unequal with all sorts of work, pay, life and health challenges, depending on gender, diversity and culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I understand how we end up with these sort of policy solutions. And to some extent, it's better to do something that's one size fits all than isn't. But I really think it is important to recognise the different ways people experience these things in the real life, what it matters to them. Um, I think a really important thing is around gender. So we often talk about the gender pay gap 
But actually, there's also a huge gender pensions gap, particularly because pensions are based off contributions based on income, right? So if there's a difference in income, that cumulatively means there's a difference in pensions as well. And women end up with much fewer entitlements in pensions because of lower pay, they take career breaks and so on. But also my research kind of identified that those gendered experiences also shape how women think about their pensions and how they engage with them. So, you know, I think there's uh, there's lots to do here around how do we, how do we uh, embed pension systems, not just pension systems, but financial systems, how do we make them respond to people's real needs and their real, their, you know, their real experiences in their lives, not just stick with a one size fits all solution and say that's enough. In a similar vein, something that's not been uh, in my research so far, but I think is a really interesting topic is how diversity and different kind of cultural back- backgrounds shape how you think about pensions, but also how you think about later life. So we know that some cultures put more emphasis on looking after older members of family. And, you know, for them, they might think I don't need a pension because when I get older, I might I'll have all family to look after me. But then what happens if something happens to your family? What happens you know, in the meantime, I think it's really important that we do encourage people to save in pensions, but we have to recognise that just saying you need a pension isn't the right narrative to encourage those people to engage with pension saving. Just while we're thinking about those choices that people face when they go to work and are thinking about their pensions, mm-hmm. um, as a researcher of pensions, what are your top tips for them, Haley? It's really interesting you ask that. And uh, yeah, by being a pensions researcher, I do find people often ask me that, like, can you give me some advice? The thing is, it's really difficult because it's so contextual. What's right for you is based on so many factors, you know, including what type of pension you get offered, um, what, what the conditions of your pension are, what other obligations that you have. So it's really hard to judge what's right or wrong. And, you know, I think that's why so many people do get scared about financial matters. The main thing I would advocate is to talk about it, talk about it with your peers, your family, you know, your employer, ask questions as much as possible. I really don't, I think there's never a silly question when it comes to finances, but I I sense that people often hold back and don't want to talk about them because they're scared of being or looking silly. Among our listeners are business leaders, Hayley, and many of them are small and medium-sized enterprises that they are running uh, with perhaps just a few employees each. What's your message to them about the importance of pensions for their staff? I think it's really about being conscious about how important pensions are and how much they can impact on people's financial well-being. Um, So very I guess very few people make a decision to work for an employer because of their pension. They just accept what the employer says and take that as some sort of advice, which is often not. It would be impossible for an employer to come up with a kind of pension scheme that actually is, you know, really, really suits everybody's needs. So I think, you know, employers need to maybe realise that and maybe give more information or more opportunities for staff to reflect on or customise their their pension scheme and their benefits to suit what they need. Um, And, you know, how that interacts with other employee benefits as well. I know, you know, this sometimes takes a bit of work, but there are lots of people out there who can help with these sorts of questions. So, yeah, I, I guess that's my main advocation for employers. And when you mentioned there are people out there who can help with those kind of questions that uh, their staff may have, um, can you point employers towards any of those organisations? Who are they? Who can help SMEs? Yeah, well, there's quite a few kind of organisations cropping up looking at kind of uh, financial well-being in the workplace and how you support that with, um, you know, 
education programs or um, training programs and things like that. And I I mean, it would depend on kind of uh, where the businesses are sat because some of them are quite local. But I mean, as a research centre, we have lots of connections around the West Midlands area and lots of other areas in the UK. So if people have questions, we're very happy to put people in contact with those sort of organisations. If anyone does want to contact us, uh, we have a page on the Aston website where all our contact details are there. Now, Hayley, your role researching all these scenarios and how different people can benefit or not from current pension options sounds fascinating. But what's your final target? What are you aiming at with all your work? What's the hoped for end result? I think my my mission is really to improve financial well-being. So improve how people experience and engage with finance to make their lives better over the course of their lives. I think there's two things to that. There's two sides to that. First of all, it's about, you know, making people more aware that that finance isn't this abstract thing. Um, and it's maybe not as scary as people think, but it's something that they can engage with and talk about. Um, and I think that's that's really important, right? Getting Getting more awareness. But the other side, I think, is how can we improve our systems to better suit people's needs? That sometimes gets lost when we talk about finance because we think about it in this kind of, yeah, um, abstract or objective way. So getting people to talk about it, but then using those th- that information about what people need to better improve our systems. And overall, I think that will lead to better financial well-being. Dr. Haley James, a senior research fellow in the Centre for Personal Financial Wellbeing at Aston Business School. Many thanks for taking part in this episode of Aston Means Business. Thanks, it's been great. And thanks to you, our audience, for listening to Aston Means Business, an original podcast series for Aston University. Remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find and listen to earlier episodes by simply Googling Aston Means Business. And if you're interested in studying anything to do with business finance and economics, why not check out what Aston Business School has to offer at www.aston.ac.uk forward slash courses. We've also got a podcast series called Society Matters, which interviews top academics at Aston's School of Social Sciences and Humanities about current issues and concepts which shape our world and the way that people live. You can find those episodes simply by Googling Society Matters Aston. Meanwhile, we'll be back soon with more interviews from some of the UK's top business academics here at Aston. Aston means business. Thanks for listening.